book of Ephesians chapter 2. That's what we have been doing for the last few weeks. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read from um, verse 1 to 10. Let me see. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. I'm going to read from New King, well, uh, let me read from New King James. Well, ESV. Okay, it still works. Here is what uh, Paul said. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In whence you once walked, uh, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, what a great verse, I love that. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. All right, we've been talking about that uh, passage for the past, um, this is our third week, right? So um, this is time for pop quiz, and expect that every week we start in that passage. What did we talk about so far in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10? Can you guys help me the last two weeks? What did we say? First one, exactly, exactly. So the first one to three, we, the whole, once again, the whole 10 verses, we're talking about the exceeding riches of his grace. And we're talking about six points in that 10 verses. Each week, we're talking about one point. The first one Barbara's talking about is that the exceeding riches of his grace in its reach. Who does this exceeding riches of the grace of God reaches to? And we discussed that. We said that the grace of God reaches to those who are dead, to those who are slaves to Satan, slaves to the world, those who are intentionally wicked in every desire of their mind and heart, and finally to those who are by uh, nature children of wrath from a messed up family of Adam. So that's number one, the exceeding riches of his grace in its reach. That's verses one to three. Then, the week after that, we talked about the exceeding riches of His grace in its source. Yes. And that is God who is rich in mercy. 
because of his great love he loved with the, because of his great love with which he loved us he showed us that exceeding riches of his grace that's the exceeding riches of the grace of God in its source where it comes from God who's rich in mercy today we're going to talk about the third point and that's verse 5 and 6 when Paul said he made us the second part of verse 5 he made us alive together with Christ And then he interrupted with that phrase, for by grace you have been saved. And then he went back and said, and he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay? And that is the exceeding riches of his grace in its work. What does this exceeding riches of the grace of God do? And here is what it does. It takes those who were dead in their trespasses and sins, make them alive. And not only that, it raises them up all the way up to the heavenly places and seat them alongside Christ. Amen? I don't know about you. That sounds like great, you know? Now, let me explain something to you. Um, Verse 10, Paul was talking about we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we might walk in it. Here is the difference in my mind when I look at that passage between verses 4 and 5, and that's the grace of God in its work, and then verse 10, that's the grace of God in its manifestation, okay? So what is the difference between these two in terms of the work of the grace of God, okay? Verses 4 and 5 that we just read, it talks about what does the grace of God do to sinners like you and me in front of God, in, in, when it comes to God, in regard of God, okay? When it comes to God, who's holy and righteous, this grace takes you and me, picks us up, makes us alive, and makes us to sit in the heavenly places alongside Christ Jesus. Amen? Verse 10, when Paul said that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, this is the effect of the grace of God in front of man. So if you are touched by the grace of God, you are a new creation. And because you are a new creation, you are changed. You're walking as a new person. So that's what the grace of God does to you and me in front of our fellow human being. Does that make sense? So in verse 4 and 5, this is the effect of the grace of God in the spiritual realm. Okay, But verse 10 is the effect of the grace of God in the physical realm. Questions? We're good? And you cannot pick and choose, by the way. You can't say, oh, I want the grace of God that raised me up from the dead and seat me in the heavenly places. But I don't want that grace of God that changes my life and make me a brand new person. You don't pick and choose. It's the exact same thing. And it works toward God in the same way it works toward man. You take the whole thing or you don't take anything. Does that work? All right. So that is the exceeding riches of his grace in its work. What does the grace of God do, this exceeding riches of his grace do, to sinners like you and me in front of God? And here is what it does. Paul mentioned three verbs in these two phrases, right? This grace of of God makes us alive together with Christ, right? Raise us up together. And number three, make us to be seated in the heavenly places alongside Christ Jesus. Three things. They're all In the past tense, by the way. So all these verbs, Paul is not talking about things that will happen. He talked about things that has already happened. All right? But honestly, like, I just don't think um, raised us up has anything to do with, like, it's 
pretty much once you're raised up, you're seated in the heavenly places. So it really comes down to two things here that Paul was mentioning, not really three. And that is this grace of God. Make you alive, that's number one. Number two, raise you up, and once you're raised up, immediately seat you at, uh, in the heavenly places alongside with Christ. So it's really two things here that Paul was talking about as far as the effect of the grace of God in front, in, when it comes to God, okay? That is, make us alive, and number two, makes us to sit in the heavenly places, all right? Good? So we're going to share a little bit about these two things that the grace of God does, and that will be the sermon today. So number one, it makes us a life together with Christ. Now, this is very interesting what Paul said in that phrase. Because in Ephesians, Paul all the time talking about in Christ, you know, like what God has done to us in Christ. So, for example, Ephesians 1.3, he says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places where? In Christ Jesus, right? And even in our passage, multiple times, in Christ, this grace was given to us in Christ. You know, we have been seated in Christ. But only here when it said he made us alive together, Paul didn't say that he made us alive together in Christ. He said he made this grace makes us alive together alongside Christ. Together with Christ, this grace has made us alive together. Does that make sense? So it's a little bit not the typical way how Paul described what God has for us in Jesus. And that's the question. Why did Paul say that this grace makes us alive Together alongside Christ, instead of this grace makes us alive in Christ. All right? So we're going to discuss that for a minute. Here is the thing. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Here is what Paul was praying for the Ephesians, okay? And he said, and what is the exceeding, this is his prayer for the Ephesian believers, and he said, what is the exceeding great, uh, greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Verse 20, Ephesians 1 to 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name to be named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So there is a parallel here between Ephesians 1.20, that the power that Paul is saying, this power of, of the Holy Spirit that is available to the believer, this power raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places at the right hand of God, right? And do you notice how this is very parallel to what he's saying here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. He said that there is power, and this power of God, the grace of God, has raised us up from the dead and made us alive, raised us up, seated us in the heavenly places. So here is why, here is why Paul is saying that this grace of God has made us alive together with Christ instead of made us alive in Christ, okay? What Paul was trying to say here is this. The exact same power that worked in Jesus and woke him up and rose him up physically from the dead is the power that the grace of God provides to you and me to raise us spiritually from our deadness and to make us to sit up in the heavenly places with Christ. Does that make sense? So when Paul says 
that we are made alive together with Christ. He's not saying that Jesus, like you and me, he's dead in his sins and he needs to be raised up from that deadness. And therefore, God decided to raise him and us alongside together into life and then into be seated in the heavenly places. Does that make sense? Questions? You're not convinced? Okay, so let me say it again. Okay, and ask me questions if you don't know what, I, what I'm trying to refer to. So, when it says that Jesus, or that God, the grace of God, has raised us, made us alive together with Christ. You and I were dead in our sins. Jesus wasn't dead in his sin, right? So when it says that it made us alive together with Christ, Paul was not saying that Jesus, just like us, we were all dead in our sins, and this power of God, this grace of God just came to all of us and raised us up all together. Christ and us. Okay, that's not what he's saying. But what he was saying is this. This power of God that raised Jesus physically from the dead, and that's why he said in Ephesians 1.20, is the exact same power that is available for you and me to raise out spiritually from the dead. Is that a better explanation? Okay. So that's why he said that we are made alive together alongside Christ instead of in Christ. All right? Now, let's move on. Good? Okay. Let's move on to being made alive. The Bible actually speaks about that so many times. That apart from God, we are dead in our sins. And it's only when we repent of our sins and come to God, that's when we are being made alive. Look at these examples. Luke 15, 24. We touched base on that uh, two weeks or three weeks ago. Here is what the father said about his prodigal son. This is my son, and this son of mine was dead, and now he's alive again. When that son came back to his father, his father said, This son of mine was dead because he was far away from me. And when he turned around from his wicked ways, came back to me, that's when he became alive. John 5, 24, this is what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. When you believe in Jesus, when you repent of your sins and come to Christ, that's when you are transformed from death to life. You are being made alive. Romans 6, 23. But present yourselves to God as those who have been uh, brought from death to life. And finally, Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So, the fact is, the Bible so many times says that if you are far away from God, you are dead in your sins. But once you repent, once you come to God and this grace of God start working in your life, now you are being made alive. Does that make sense? Here is an analogy I use all the time when I share the gospel with people. This is my phone, okay? It's working now, but let's say it's dead. It's out of juice. And I keep yelling at the phone. Make a phone call. Make a phone call. Go online. Do you think this phone will do anything? Why? It's a dumb smartphone. You're right about that. And the other reason is, apart from it being dumb, dumb, it's dead. It's out of juice, right? And this phone, in order for it to function and to be an actual phone that works, it needs one thing. What does it need? It needs to be plugged into the power, right? 
And that's exactly what you and I are apart from Christ. We are dead in our sins because we are just apart from God who is the source of life. And it doesn't matter if you're trying to do good deeds because you're dead. And we say that a dead person is good for what? It's good for nothing. A good person cannot do anything to improve their situation. But what do a dead person need? A dead person need life. Need life that comes outside of him because he doesn't have life in himself to be made alive on his own. Does that make sense? And that's happened when you, we repent of our sins and come to Christ. Then the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, and that's God himself, the source of life, will come and dwell in us. And when the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, he will change us and he will make us alive in Christ and alongside Christ. Does that make sense? So it is that same power that raised Jesus physically from the dead is the power that you and I need. Just like this phone, we need to plug to be plugged into this power so we can be made alive once again. Amen? This is good news because you don't have to work for your salvation. Quite frankly, you have nothing to bring to the table because you're dead and a dead person cannot bring anything to be made right with God. But if you yield yourself enough to be plugged into the, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, you will be made alive. Amen? And that's what the exceeding riches of the grace of God does. It chooses those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, who can do nothing to save themselves, who can bring nothing to the table, and make the exact same power that raised Jesus physically from the dead be infused into their deadness, and all of a the sudden they become alive. Amen? I don't know about you, I'm excited that the power of God has raised me up from the deadness of my sin. And I know I follow Jesus and I am alive. I have been transformed from death to life because of the Son of God. Amen? So that's what the grace of God does. It makes you and I alive using the exact same power that raised Jesus from the dead. But not only that. It also seats us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen? Remember, we're dead. We're distant from God. We are at the very bottom of the pit, far away from everything that is good. Now, the grace of God, this is amazing. This is how it's really the exceeding riches of His grace. Not just average grace. This is a mind-blowing grace that takes those who are in the dump, in the furthest bottom of the pit, far away from God, and not just lift them up from the dump and put them on the corner of the street, it raises them up all the way to the heavenly places. Remember in, in Ephesians 1.20, Jesus himself is sitting there, right? He is made alive by the power of God, seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of God. And that's where exactly you and I are seated. In the heavenly places next to Christ. Amen? Amen? This is exciting. Now, notice this. Once again, these are all past tense, right? Paul is not saying, Paul is not talking here about our future condition when we get to heaven, that we're going to be seated alongside Christ, Right? He's saying that this grace has already seated us. It's not, it's gonna, it's, it will seat us when we die and go to heaven. It has already seated us. It's already a past tense, right? So you and I, positionally, spiritually, are already seated in the heavenly places. We might be physically here, but truly, we are seated in the heavenly places next to Christ Jesus. Amen? 
What does that mean? What does it mean that we are seated in the heavenly places next to Christ Jesus? I, I looked it up. I tried to study and search and see what does that mean. Came up with three things after studying. Number one, to be seated in the heavenly places, it is a, plane of, a place of reign, triumph, and victory. Okay? It's a place of reign, triumph, and victory. Look at this. Psalm 110.1. Well, here is how the, the thought process will go. Remember, it says that we are seated in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. So we're going to try to figure out what does it mean that Jesus is seated in the heavenly places. And we're pretty much going to tag along since pretty much we're doing the exact same thing. The grace of God did to us the exact same thing that did to Jesus. Does that make sense? So we're going to see what does it mean that Jesus is seated in the heavenly places. And we're going to apply the same principles to us since pretty much it's the exact same power and the exact same grace. So number one, being seated in the heavenly places, it's a place of frame, victory, and triumph. Psalm 1, Look what David said. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. What does that mean? Paul explained that to us. 1 Corinthians 15, 25. This is what Paul said. For he, that's Jesus. He quoted the exact same psalm. And he said, for he must reign until he has put, the first he is Jesus, the second he is God the Father. For Jesus must reign until the Father has put all his enemies under his feet. So Paul is telling us the fact that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. That simply means he's reigning over there. He is king. He's ruling. Amen. And that's exactly what the grace of God has done to you and me. Look at that. Compare that to 2 Corinthians 2.14. Here's what Paul says. But thanks be to God who in Christ, how often? Always leads us in triumphal processions. This is the ESV. Beautiful meaning. He always, not sometimes, not when you get the promotion, not when uh, you're feeling healthy. It doesn't matter what's your condition. You're always in triumphal positions in Christ Jesus. And through us, he spreads the fragments of the knowledge of his, uh, his knowledge everywhere. He always leads us in triumph. Now, the word triumph here is very interesting. It came only two times in the whole New Testament. Here is one of them. You know, it says that Jesus is leading us in triumph all the time. And the second one is in Colossians 2.15. We quoted that verse not too long ago. What does it say? It says that Jesus has nailed all the trespasses and sins that was against us. And he has triumphed. This is what Paul said. He has triumphed over the powers and principalities of darkness. And he has triumphed over them in the cross. This is what Paul said in Colossians 2.15. It's the same word. So Paul is using that word to say that we are in triumph in Christ Jesus. And we are triumphing over the power of darkness in Christ Jesus. Now, I think the ESV got the exact meaning that Paul wanted to say. We are in a triumphal procession. Like, the whole point here is display. What Paul is trying to say is that God is using us as a display to all the world and all the power of darkness that we are always victorious, that we have already conquered because of that grace of God that has seated us in the heavenly places. Amen? In the times of Romans, when the Roman army will conquer a different army and they beat them up, they do this. They have the generals of the Romans 
pass through and their kids and their relatives and their followers, whatever, just following them in the same procession. And then you have the, the people who have been defeated, their armies and their generals have been plundered of the ranks and walk in shame. So the Roman people will be on, on the sides. They're cheering the victors and they're mocking those who have been beaten, right? And it's a triumphal display, a display of triumph. And that's what Paul is implying here. That in Christ Jesus, because of that grace, when Jesus came from heaven and died on the cross, and now we are seated in the heavenly places, God is using us to display his triumph and his victory over the power of darkness and use the exact same cross to shame every single power of darkness that has been defeated. Amen? We are seated in the heavenly places. We are in the place of triumph because of the amazing riches of the grace of God. But number two, it's a place of rest. It's a place of rest. Hence the word seated, right? When you're seated, you're resting. Look at this. I'm going to read that scripture for you. Amazing scripture from Hebrews 10, 11 to 14. Now, if you look at the, um, the tabernacle of meeting in the Old Testament, there's tons of furniture in that place. There's tables and curtains and all sorts of furnitures. But you know there's one piece of furniture missing in that place. You know what it is? A chair. There's no chairs in the tabernacle of meeting. Why? Because the priest has to always be standing before God to offer sacrifices. Year after year, they have to keep standing. Look at this. Hebrews um, 10, 11 to 14. Now, in these two verses, uh, the author of Hebrews is comparing what that Old Testament priests used to do versus what Jesus has done on the cross. So look at this. And every priest that's in the Old Testament, notice the word stands, always standing. There is no seating, there is no chairs. Stands, ministering, how often? Daily. The priests of the Old Testament always standing, always ministering, always laboring. And here is why. An offering, notice the word, repeatedly. One time after another. And every year has to go into the presence of God with a different sacrifice. Why? Because the old one didn't work. It worked for one year. Now he has to get in a new one. And offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. And here is the problem. Here is why he keeps standing. He keeps ministering daily. And he's offering repeatedly these sacrifices. The rest of that verse says, which can never take away sin. That's why. Every time the high priest in the Old Testament or any priest offers sacrifice, it just doesn't take away sin. That's why he has to keep on doing it. But look at verse 12. But this man, amen, this man, the Son of God, this man, after he has offered, how many? One. One sacrifice. For how many sins? All sins. For how long? Forever. He sat down at the right hand of God. This is why Jesus sat down, because he offered one complete sacrifice, and that was it. Verse 13, from that time, he sat down, from that time, waiting until his enemies had been made his footstool, for by one offering. Notice, when we talked about the Old Testament sacrifice, it says they can by no means take away sin. But look at the sacrifice of Christ. For by one offering, he has perfected, not just took away sin, he has made us perfect perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's you and me. So Jesus was able to sit down at the right hand of God for one simple reason. 
He offered a perfect and complete sacrifice. Sin is done away with once and for all. Nobody, he hasn't to deal with that anymore. Amen? And that's why he sat down. He rested because his work is complete. And that's exactly what it means for you and me. We are seated in the heavenly places. You know what that means? That you and I don't have to work anymore to please a God who is angry because we have sinned against him. Amen? Our work is gone. We don't have to labor for our salvation. All what you have to do is just put your trust in the complete sacrifice of Christ. And that very grace that will make you sit in the heavenly places and cease from working and laboring, trying in your own strength to please God. This very grace also will transform your lives. We talk about that, Ephesians 2.10. It will give you the power to change, and it's not going to be you anymore trying to please God and trying to do good deeds. It's going to be His power in you producing that good works. Amen? We are seated in the heavenly places. You don't have to work anymore to go to heaven. All what you have to do is just come to that grace of God and say, I, I can't do it. And that grace will say, okay, just rest. I'll take it from here. And this grace will produce power in you, make you alive, and change you once and for all. And from that day forward, good works will be the product of that power of God that resides in you. Does that make sense? I don't know about you. I'm excited that I don't have to work for my salvation anymore. That God is already pleased with me. Amen? All right. So that grace of God, it's a, to be seated in the heavenly places. It's a place of triumph and reign. It's a place of rest. And number three, it's a place of authority. Okay? Look at that again, Ephesians 1, 19 to 20. Let's read it again. Paul is praying that the eyes of the believers would be open. And then he's saying, and what is the exceeding? Here is what he wants them to see. The exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according um, to the working of his mighty power, which he has worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him in, at the right hand in the heavenly places. Where? Where is Jesus seated in the heavenly places? Far above. Far above all principalities and power and might and dominion. And every name to be named. Not only in this age but also in the one to come. This is good. Listen to this. Remember two weeks ago. When we're talking about who does the grace of God reaches to, we said that we are slaves to Satan. And what does the Bible call Satan in Ephesians 2? Uh, 2? It calls him the spirit, well, the prince of the power of the air, right? Remember what we said that God is in the heaven, the third heaven, then Satan pretty much functions in the air realm just above us, and then we live here on earth. Remember we talked about that, right? And we said that Satan was our cruel master and he was physically above us in the air realm and he's oppressing us. But now, this is amazing. When the grace of God touches you and me, it raises us up to the heavenly places next to Christ Jesus. Now, we have just read in Ephesians chapter 1 that when Jesus is seated in the heavenly places, he's seated where? Compared to the principalities and powers. He is far Above all 
principalities and powers and dominions and every name to be named not only in this age but also in the one to come. See, this is what the grace of God does. It takes you and me and puts us in a higher authority over the cruel master that used to oppress us in the past. Amen? I don't know about you. That's exciting. Amen? Amen. Now you and I have power and have authority over Satan and over all this power of darkness because of the exceeding riches of his grace that just seated us in the heavenly places. Amen? It's not that, look at this, this grace of God is not that it just took away that cruel master out of our way and just took away all his authority over us and how much he was abusing us. This exceeding riches of his grace made that very cruel masters and all his powers subject to us under our feet and we can commend him and he will obey and he has not only stopped being our ruler but now he's subject to our command because of that exceeding riches of the grace of God. Amen? Amen? I know, but it's exciting, people. This is awesome. Satan has no power over you and me anymore, but he has to obey us because of what the exceeding riches of the grace of God has done to you and me. Amen. The exceeding riches of his grace. This is what the grace of God does to you and me in front of God. It takes us from our deadness of sin, infused power in us, and we become alive together with Christ. And not only that, it raises us up all the way up to the heavenly places and make us to sit alongside Christ Jesus. Amen. And what does that mean? Three things. Let's recap and then we'll close. What does it mean to be seated in the heavenly places? Number one, it's a place of reign. We're reigning with him. We're triumphing in Christ Jesus. Number two, it's a place of rest. You don't have to work for your salvation anymore. Just leave it all to the grace of God. It will do it all for you. And number three, it's a place of authority. The one who is capturing us, the one who is subduing us is now under our feet. And one day we're going to... Keep mocking him for all eternity because of the grace of God and because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? All right, let's all close our eyes and pray. Yes, Lord.